0: Hello, team, and welcome to episode 453 of the Simply Fit podcast. In today's episode, I have the pleasure of speaking with Marnie Beauchamp. Marnie is an award winning business leader, best selling author, and a mindset coach. It's inevitable that we'll face challenges in life. If you're listening today, it's likely you've been through a fair few. But what about when you're hit with consecutive challenges and also some of the biggest challenges that you're ever going to face? Do you crumble? Or do you find a way to keep going? Marnie had a defining year like this back in 2005. And in this episode today, we talk about how she was able to come back from this and live an even more successful and fulfilling life. In this episode, you can expect to learn how to be resilient when you're facing your toughest times, how to get back up again when life seems to be knocking you down time and time again, along with why you should see the glass as refillable versus half full or half empty. So without further ado, Marnie Beauchamp. Mani Shock. Welcome to the show. How are you today?
1: Thank you. I'm great. Thank you very much.
0: I'm glad to hear. I'm excited to dive into our conversation today to get to know yourself a little bit better and go into depth on the discussion that we're going to have. But before we do, can you give the listeners a bit of context about who you are and what it is that you do?
1: Oh, wow. Who I am. (laughs) Okay. So I have been a business owner since I was in my 20s. So I had an opportunity to buy into a business at that stage. And that's pretty much what began my journey through the business world. I am now a published author. So I published my first book late last year. So it's only quite fresh, but it's been going incredibly well. So we've reached bestseller status on a number of different categories on Amazon, which is super exciting. Thank you. Yeah. Besides that, I'm a mum and these days more of a coach than a real estate agent, which is what my history has been in business.
0: Amazing. So you're wearing a fair amount of hats by the sound of it.
1: Yes, I am. i <laughs> also got an app in development too, so I suppose that makes me a developer
0: as well. And what leads you to choose all of these different ventures and different things that you go down? Because if, when you speak to a lot of mentors and business coaches, I imagine you speak to a lot of your clients, a lot of the advice you hear is to stick with one thing Place as much energy and attention on it as possible. And maybe once you start to get competent or you see a decent amount of success, then maybe dip your toe into something new and see if you can navigate that. But quite often the advice is to stick with this one thing, whereas you're dipping your foot in this and this and this and seems to be doing pretty well at it as well. So what is the formula that you've used and why is that the path that you've gone down specifically?
1: I think I have stuck to one thing for a number of years when I, when I was operating my real estate agencies. However, I I'm definitely diversifying a lot nowadays. For me, I think I am always open to opportunity. I don't ever like to compartmentalize myself and what I'm doing. So, if an opportunity presents itself and that's something that's kind of a bit of a theme throughout my book, it is I believe that they those opportunities a lot of them come to us for a reason. So, I'm very big on, you know, those sliding door moments, making decisions that, you know, could change your life and so quite often I will take those opportunities and run with them and see where they lead me. So, um, yeah, I think I think at the moment, you know, all of the hats are kind of within the same realm still. Got you. So, yeah, it's working for me.
0: That's amazing. And it's nice to hear. It's refreshing because that's not the usual narrative whatsoever. So it's nice to hear someone who says that you can do a little bit more obviously like you said within real estate you really place your attention there to begin with got yourself into a very very good position but then look to transition and pivot which is also another amazing thing because once you start to get good at things then you don't even want to pivot because you're like well i've got a lot of success here so now you know i have to start from scratch again and once you start to be an authority in your field then it's actually quite hard to transition so that's pretty amazing as well but before we go forward I want to go back. So you mentioned that you really started within business. That was your first opportunity in your early 20s. If we roll back the years even more, what would your teenage years and the early years of your life tell us about who you are today? What things went on? I find that usually there's a little bit of a childhood puzzle that links us to who we are today. So what things went on in your childhood that led you to all of these different things that you're doing on a day-to-day basis now?
1: Yeah, I think it definitely has a big impact. So I grew up with two brothers and I was very close to my dad and my dad was a real adrenaline junkie. So from a very early age, I was doing everything that my brothers and my dad did. So I was racing go-karts, I was riding dirt bikes, I was water skiing at five years old. You know, we were snow skiing, you know, all of those very, I guess, you know, boys activities. (laughs) Uh I was up there and involved in. So I became a high achiever, I think, from a very early age. I played basketball. At a very high level, so Australian championships and state championships levels as a child and into my teenage years. And then being close to my dad, I was obviously spending a lot of time with him and he bought a business, his first business when I was about 12 years old. And I used to spend weekends and school holidays always hanging out with him at work. And I think that that is what was the biggest impetus for me in wanting to have my business so in high school, when people would say, what do you want to do when you grow up? For me, it was always, I want to have my own business. I didn't know doing what at the time, obviously, but real estate definitely wasn't on the agenda. That was just a door that opened for me at some point. And I took it and here I am today.
0: Amazing. So that was pretty embedded into you from a very, very young age and obviously led you to where you were today as well, which is fantastic. And obviously, all the things we've spoken about so far seem you know, beautiful and all sunshines and rainbows, but something that's mentioned a lot in your uh, book and your story full stop are some of the hidden struggles that many of us go through, especially business owners and especially people who also experience a fair amount of success. It's very easy to see the person who maybe went through a business failure or X, Y, or Z and ends up with a lot of very, very visible challenges. But when you look at someone who's maybe acquired a decent amount of success in their life, you're almost thinking, well, you know, it does all look good. And I always think of the analogy, and I've said this to people that many times in my life, I've been like the duck floating on the top of the water, but my feet have been like 100 miles per hour. 100%. Uh Yeah, so I definitely feel you there. (laughs) I love that analogy. 100%. And I would love to know a little bit more about some of your hidden struggles along the way, because naturally, success doesn't come without any challenges that come along the way, but I understand you went through a pretty decent amount to get to where you were. So can you take us through that story?
1: Yeah, absolutely. It's one of the reasons that I wrote the book because I'm one of those people that keeps things quite bottled up. And so it's, you know, I was exactly, as you said, the duck floating on the water and people didn't see the turmoil underneath the water for me to continually keep swimming. (laughs) So there was a number of things, there was obviously a lot of health issues because when you put your body through continual stress and anxiety and grief and all that sort of thing that manifests into physical illness in my opinion. So there was a lot of physical stuff that I had to, you know, big surgeries and things that I had to undergo over the years. I went through a very big court case when I sold my first business after, so basically in one year, just to give you a little bit of perspective, and this is just one of the things I went through Divorce. My kids were only very young when my husband and I separated. I went through financial ruin due to a court case when I decided to sell my business to spend more time with my kids. And then my dad, who had obviously been very close to me all my life and was my mentor, passed away very suddenly at 58. So that was all within the one year. Wow. <laughs> so I had to find some way, obviously, to pick up the pieces and start again. I had had a choice whether I could just. There and go and get a job and then just try and, you know, manage life as best I could or get up and keep moving forward and do it all again. And so obviously I decided that that wasn't going to be my life and it wasn't going to be the life of my daughters. So I got up and I started all over again. And as a single mum and did that for, you know, many, many years trying to juggle everything, I had sole custody. So Uh, I was pretty much full-time mum as well as building a business and, you know, having to overcome all of those mental challenges as well as the financial challenges and everything along the way. So that's, yeah. Yeah. How many years ago was that? So that was in 2005, early 2005, the court case started and then it finished almost, it was nearly six months. That was six months of I can't even explain how hard it is. If anybody's been through a big court case like that, they'll understand. But just the mental and physical drain on being dragged into court every day and having to go through that process of defending yourself, these are not not good. And I didn't actually do anything wrong. That was the worst part. But if somebody charges you, so the claim against me was for damages for selling my business to a different franchise, basically, which I was within my rights to do, but I still had a few months left on my franchise agreement which is again not a limiting factor normally so you just pay the average of your franchise fees that you have paid throughout the time with the franchise and then you obviously you can sell the property the business however yeah there was a number of factors leading up to that within the franchise that basically i think i was a final straw mm, yeah i can imagine so i cocked the rat yeah but it, it it was hard. It took everything. I, I was sitting in the park with my kids one day and they wanted an ice cream. I had seventy six in my bank account. I couldn't even buy them an ice cream. No way. When I say I hit the skids, I, I completely had... After selling my property, I came out of the court case. I had to put my company into voluntary administration to stop it in the end because I, I had nothing. And I had a choice as to whether I completed the bankruptcy forms that I'd started filling out and I let the company go into liquidation or I don't and I repay every cent to the barristers and the, the accountants and the solicitors and everything that I had along the way. And so that was a decision I made. I didn't fill out the bankruptcy forms. I didn't want anybody else to suffer, you know, financial hardship by from what had happened. So I made the decision to repay all of the debt completely. It took me nearly five years, I think it was, in the end. And even just to buy my company back was over $100,000. So I was definitely going backwards that I was in the red big time. But I think that's something that I'm most proud of is that I didn't take the easy road out, that I took the hard road. But morally, it was the right thing to do. And it gave me, again, You know, I worked so hard to get to that point. But it gave me that strength and confidence when I opened the next business, once I was kind of debt free, that, you know, if I could do that and get through that, then this business is just going to fly now. I had so many learnings from that first time.
0: Absolutely. And you speak a lot about resilience as well and how that's such an important trait and asset that you possess and you also speak about as well. I'm sure there was many moments in which it would have been more tempting to go down the route of what seems easier in that moment. What kept you going? I mean, resilience is something that we talk about, and it's it's kind of like a nice word as well. Like it's kind of motivating. It's like, oh yeah, I'm going to be resilient. I'm going to push through. But you know, outside of the motivational quotes and the videos you see on Instagram like resilience when you're actually going through something really, really challenging is usually not the thing that you want to exercise. You do it because maybe there's a long-term reward, but there's nothing beautiful or sexy about it in the short term. There really isn't. So when it came to you being resilient all through that time, like you said, it took you five years to pay everything back. What did that look like? How did you gather the strength to keep on going, to keep on going?
1: It was hard and I definitely had moments and I definitely took some time to lick my wounds so to speak but unfortunately for me I I just had that well not unfortunately it's fortunately really I had that you know it's like this intrinsic thing that I just I can't give up I, I never have and I never want to so it was a decision that I made as I said where I could just stay where I was or I could do it all again and do it better and I think I found the strength and the resilience true. Obviously, my daughters, they were very young at the time, and I didn't want that to be their life. You know, I didn't want them to have a mum who gave up. I didn't want them to have a mum who, you know, couldn't provide the best life possible for them. So they were definitely my why. And I think that when you're going through really tough times, what you need to do is look at the bigger picture, look at what you want your life to be. And nobody wants to stay in that place, right? If you're going through some trauma and you're, you know, sad every day and you're hurting and you're going through grief and all that kind of thing, I think it's important to lead into those feelings because I think the only way that we can process them is to actually acknowledge them and go through that pain. But I think the sooner that you do that, the sooner you're able to go, okay, I'm done. I've felt it. It's, it hurt. <laughs> But I don't want to stay in that place. I don't want to keep reliving this over and over again. So I think my resilience came from the bigger picture purpose of what I wanted my life to be and that was being the best mum I could but it was also, you know, proving to myself and to everybody else as well for a long time until I realised it's only me to prove anything to but to prove that that's, that's not what my life is going to be defined as. So. There's always bigger and better and there's always another day. And it's literally our choice as to whether we want to stay in a situation. Nobody's going to come and rescue us. I'm a big believer in in not putting it onto anybody else to fix things for you. You're the only person that can do it. So it's a matter of making that decision to get up and to keep moving forward. You have to make the choice not to be in that situation
0: anymore. And you mentioned that never give up mentality as kind of part of your makeup. Did you ever have a moment? Obviously, it's much, much easier, and people say this to me all the time, to speak about some of the values that you live by when you're in a much better space, right? Comparatively to when you're going through the hardships. So did you always have those values within you when you're like personal responsibility? Like I take account of everything. I know you mentioned that never give up one was kind of deeply embedded to you. Was part of this written into your DNA and your character, maybe from your upbringing? Um, Was part of it developed along the way? How did you get these set of values that you live by, because I think it's a really important thing. If people are listening right now, maybe they go through hardships, but they're kind of outsourcing the responsibility, looking at everyone else, kind of in that victim mentality, but don't really realize it, then they're going to struggle to get out of it. However, if they're able to instill some of those values that, that you're speaking so strongly about, I feel that they have a much, much better opportunity of getting through it. So where did the value side of things and those rules that you live by come into play?
1: I think you always brought up in an environment where everybody works hard and everybody you know, took responsibility to a certain extent, but I also think that you have to acknowledge that, you know, like I, I definitely went through stages where I was thinking that the universe was conspiring against me and all that kind of thing and why me and whatever. But it was really limited because I think I, um, I've always had that, I don't know whether it was brought up in me or whether it was something that, you know, I developed over the years. But I've always had that understanding that we emotions and feelings are things; they're not part of us, and so we can control them. And it, it's hard. Like I'm not. I'm not saying any of this was easy. It was hard, and and the emotional roller coasters we've been on over the years uh, are pretty insane. But I just, I don't know. I think people just have to realize that it is temporary. I think that's the biggest thing is that no matter what you're going through, it's only going to continue if you keep reliving it and you keep staying in that moment. And we have to eventually let go of the past as hard as it is. And I I know how hard it is, but we have to move on and we have to create a life that we want to be in because we are the only ones that can do it. It's not up to anybody else to make us happy it's up to us to find ways to be happy and to and even if you're not happy for me walking down the street with a smile on my face and saying hello to people makes me feel happy so that kind of changes my energy through the day but yeah it's hard and you're always going to have hard times you're always going to have times where you want to give up there's no doubt about it I mean life is hard business is hard everything's hard but I think that you just have to you just have to somehow find a way to keep moving forward. And even if it's baby steps, even if it's crawling, even if it's the smallest little thing. So, you know, each day you wake up and you think to yourself, what is something that I'm going to do today that's going to make me feel good and it's going to move me forward, even if it's just a tiny little bit. And for some people, that's just getting up and going for a 10-minute walk. And that's okay. It's just finding and continually looking for opportunities to do things that are going to make you feel better yeah
0: i couldn't agree more and i think that we underestimate those small steps but when they compound and when they're done over day and day and day and day like that's the true success of course when people are taking big steps it's not necessarily because they took that big step from day one it's because they started with the smallest step possible and now their big step is their small step right but if you try to do that from day one you'd probably trip up so it's also a little bit more about your comeback right you're off the back of 2005 i imagine the court case is closed the divorce is processed and you're there with your $1.97 in your pocket, like what is going through your mind and how are you just, like beginning the comeback? How do we go from, you know, money is on the floor and this life is conspiring against us to where you are today, essentially.
1: Definitely one step at a time. It was a very overwhelming process because not only was I suffering from immense grief over losing my dad. Um, it's very traumatic when you lose somebody suddenly like that. One minute they're there, the next minute they're just gone. You know, you kind of say goodbye. So there was that. There was the fact that I've got two little girls, you know, relying on me. They were just three and five at the time. And I um, I knew that, you know, obviously as a mom, I had that mum bill because I wanted to be with them as well. And the reason I was selling the business was so that I could actually spend some time with them and that didn't happen. So I had to go back to work and... So the people that I sold my business to, I was actually part of the contract was that I came with it for a couple of years. So I was contracted to them. I couldn't work anywhere else anyway, if I wanted to, so I, um, I went back and I literally started from scratch and went back to basics. I just thought I can't step back in where I was because I don't have the mental capacity, but also because I didn't have the energy and so much had happened in between I'd lost confidence. There was a whole range of things happening inside. So I went back to basics and I just sat down and I thought, okay, where do I need to start? And what do I need to do to get myself back on track and back to where I I was previously? So I broke it down. I think that we everybody has goals and a lot of people set big goals, which I've always believed in, obviously. But for me, the trick to actually achieving your goals is to break it down into bite-sized pieces. And especially if you're coming off the back of some hardship and some setbacks, I think if you go in all guns blazing, like I'm going to be back where I was in a month's time or over a year's time, it's too high an expectation. And that's when most people don't get there. So what you have to do is break it down into daily, you know, break it down into yearly, six monthly, monthly, weekly, and daily activities. And I always sat every day and said, right, what three things can I do today? That's going to get me back in to the rhythm and the habits and all that sort of thing that I needed to be back in. So that's literally what I did. I just broke it down. So I didn't have to think about the bigger picture. I didn't even have to think a week ahead because it was too overwhelming. I couldn't even think a week ahead. I had to think of getting through that day and what that day was going to look like for me. And I found that by doing that and not having too long a vision, It actually enabled me just to focus on those small steps, which is all I felt I could do. And once I mastered them, that gave me the confidence the next day to go, okay, well, I actually got through yesterday and I managed to do those things that I really wanted to do. So what's the next stage? What's the next thing I'm going to do? And each time you do that, you build resilience, you build strength and you build confidence and belief in yourself because you're actually doing the things that you don't think you can And to me, that's where true strength and resilience comes from. It's actually doing the things that you don't think you can do, not the things you think you can do.
0: Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And I think it's very, very underrated to set goals which are just kind of out of your reach but are still achievable and to have that self-awareness to not set super, super, like obviously, like you said, set your big goal out in the future, but I think so many people overestimate what they can do in a day but underestimate what they can do in five or ten years and i think that if we turn that around to you breaking it down like you said into small chunks and just ticking the box every single day you don't have to you know go 10 out of 10 but if you're 8 out of 10 on a day-to-day basis you're consistent it allows you to build momentum and move on to those next steps. And I think it's very underrated. And you speak a lot about momentum as well. I imagine that you gathered a lot of momentum off the back of taking it day by day, week by week, month by month. At which point did you turn around and thought, well, you know, this is starting to come together. I'm starting to feel much, much better now. And you're like, okay, I'm on my way to something special. At which point did you kind of have that tipping point or or even if it wasn't a tipping point, maybe it was just a gradual process or did you have that stage where you were like, yeah, things are going well again and I can see a brighter future in front of me?
1: Yeah, so I think it was a day-to-day basis. And it's interesting that you mentioned momentum because for me, momentum is so much more important than motivation because we're not always motivated. And I wasn't motivated in the slightest to be sitting in that seat in the office every day. But I knew that momentum would build motivation. So yeah, it was it was a definitely a, an ongoing thing. However, I you know, I had been the number one agent in the area and things like that. And so, you know, to go back to like literally starting from scratch was was a hard thing, you know, mentally as well. But I think the point How did your ego handle it? Yeah. It was. It was everything. It was my confidence, my ego, my belief. It was, you know, the perception within the community. My and Gin, not many people knew about the court case, but they just knew that I had disappeared all of a sudden, and then I had reappeared. But I think the tipping point where I, I thought, yeah, I've got this, was we within the real estate industry, like most industries, you know, you do rankings and awards and things like that. And the franchise that I was with, I'd sold my business to, was one of the largest in Australia. And um, I um, after the first full year that I was back, so it was about maybe 18 months in, um, I got to the point where I was number 12 in the state. And so I think that that was a point where I kind of went, you know what, I can do this and I've got this. And, you know, I stopped at that point. I started to actually acknowledge where I'd been and where I'd gotten to, whereas along the way I wasn't doing that. I was just so focused on just getting through every day. But once I got, I mean, my goal had been top 10, so I didn't quite get that point. But anyway, it's still a big accomplishment considering where I'd come from. That's it, especially considering you had to
0: go back to relatively ground zero again and build yourself back up. But I think that's the beautiful thing about acquiring skills as well. I think that's another thing that maybe I'd like you to speak on as well is that when people go through these hardships, yes, you know, you might have failed in your business or you might have had something taken away from you or you might have gone through some hardships. By the end of the day, if you spent years developing those skills, no one takes them away from you. And quite often, a lot of skills are transferable, even if it's not the skill itself, right? If you're a, an amazing real estate agent, that might make you an incredibly good communicator for a new business that you're going to start going into, even if it has nothing to do with property or anything along those lines. So, tell us maybe about the power of skills. And obviously, that was something that you probably relied on a lot to get yourself back into the place of uh, not just miss out on the top 10, but you got yourself into 12 place, which I think is still pretty damn good. So, tell us about the aspect of skills and why they were so important to your comeback as well.
1: Yeah. Skills are everything, really, because that's what sets the groundwork for you that gives you that opportunity to be able to complete your tasks is having the skills. And if you, you know, again, if they're a bit tarnished and things like that, then I always say to people, I mean, I, I'm open to learning every day. I, I'm one of those people that I always go to conferences, I always go to learning programs and do lots of training and stuff, even after being in the industry for 28 years. So for me, you know, I was open to going to as many courses and things as I could within that group. And I did a lot of training training to enhance the skills that I already had, but yeah, if you've got the skills, you can always fall back on that, as you said. And, you know, as I said, for me, opportunities and sliding door moments where things open up, uh, I've had to or chosen to shift careers and things. But for me, it was just, that's fine. I'll just build new skills, develop new skills. So yeah, learning and having skills is a massive. Massive step to any goal,
0: really. Yeah, and I think a big thing you mentioned there is that you've been in the industry for 28 years, but you're still willing to learn. And I think that that's something that a lot of us leave behind, right? We start to develop a sense of, like I said earlier, authority, maybe ego to a degree. What can I actually learn at this point, you know, and all these other things that come in. And then we end up getting a little bit too comfortable and almost then stop learning. So if you've got the skill of maintaining and becoming a learner, then that makes you even more unstoppable. So it doesn't matter where you go next because of, if you have that skill of learning, you can essentially learn anything to a somewhat decent degree at the very, very least. Yes, totally agree. Amazing. And one other thing that I know you speak a lot about is... Not necessarily setting goals, but setting standards. I'm curious to get your take on that because there was an interesting thing that I came across when I was reading about you is that you're very big on setting standards for yourself. So tell us a little bit more about that.
1: Yeah. So I think goals, as we spoke about, can sometimes be overwhelming and, and suck people. And so for me, and sometimes a goal is like, so when you get to a goal, it's done. What do you do then? Do you know what I mean? It's kind of like, oh, well, I've gotten to that now, so I can just let that go. Whereas if you set yourself a standard, it's more of a lifelong thing. It's it's, it's enduring, life enduring. You know, it's it's it lasts forever. So um, for me, it's all about just setting standards of behavior, standards of communication, standards of you know income projection. It, it's all about setting something that's going to continue. It's not going to end. There's no end date to it. So creating that that culture. Of the behavior I guess
0: yeah absolutely like behavior to live by versus when I get the goal then like you said what's next I think it's the same in the industry that I'm in as well and the health and fitness side of things it's like when you hit your goal it's not like you go back to just eating and exercising or not exercising the way you were before it's like now you set that standard for how that type of person does it and essentially that embeds your identity as well. So another big aspect that I go through a lot of my clients is that, you know, we're not going back to anywhere. Yes, this goal provides us with a framework and a direction that we want to go in. Yes. But you're kind of setting a standard to live by. So I like that as well. It ties into the identity side of things. So for people who maybe find that a little bit like I've never been the type of person who's been healthy before. I've never been someone who's run a business. I've got a bit of an entrepreneurial spirit, but I have no experience here. Where do you encourage them with getting started in terms of creating those standards for themselves?
1: So I think you have to start by setting good habits each day because as a business owner, you know, as you know, every day is different. You can't predict what's going to happen. You are 100% going to come across challenges and obstacles on the way. So you have to continually work on your mindset and your resilience and your ability to Shift directions if need be. A good business owner has to be all about connection. So it's working on your ability to, you know, create connect with people and that sort of thing. But I think also if you are wanting to go into the business ownership world and things like that, it's about having a clear direction. You know, you talked about having a direction to get to where you want to be. You've got to know where you start, starting from, and where you're going to. So I think that's probably the number one for me is to. Work out your purpose. Why do you want to do it? Because sometimes you need to go back to that when it gets really hard. And why am I doing this? You know, it's um, it's knowing your purpose. It's knowing where you, what exactly what you want, why you want it, and where you want to end up from it. What, what it's going to do for your life. How it's going to change everything.
0: Yeah, I like that. Direction and connection. That's going to be easy for a lot of people to remember as well. So I'm curious to now find and use your experience in the place that you are today of course we know that hindsight is twenty twenty. so if you could go back to your early 20s and you could go speak to that much younger version of money and say hey these are the type of things that you need to look out for along the way or you could basically live that version of yourself or the experience you have today what things would you have done differently
1: first of all i would be telling myself to trust my gut <laughs> Throughout that sale, massive learning. I live by it now, but it's taken a long time for me to to get to that point. Um, so, you know, there's a lot of things, decisions and things that I made throughout that sale. And, and I took on board the requests and things from the purchaser of the business and advice from other people and things like that, which... Wasn't a wet against the grain for me. Um, I have always had a very good connection with all of my staff, and I have always brought them into decision making with the business and things like that um, to a degree, obviously. And I'm always open to learning from them and getting their opinions and ideas and perspectives on on stuff that we do as a business and as we grow. And at the time, you know, one of the, I think one of the triggers for you know the court case and that sort of thing was. The fact that the, I was asked not to tell the staff about the sale to keep it confidential for a number of reasons, which were quite valid reasons, but obviously they, my accountant sent a letter to the office and didn't mark it private and confidential and it was outlining the sale. And so they found out and then that was what pretty much, obviously they were very angry, very upset. And then they went straight to the franchisor and then obviously that kind of triggered the whole situation which may have not been so volatile if I had been able to. I had told him I was want- wanting to sell but I think the fact that he kind of found out from then that it had actually gone through and things like that. Um, it, so, yeah, so I, I would definitely say trust your instincts, go with your gut, be true to yourself. It doesn't matter what other people expect of you or ask you to do at the end of the day we are the only ones that really are able to control our decisions and things like that and we should make decisions based around what's best for us and the people that we're trying to protect. I think the other thing is to remember that there's always another day and things will always get better because when you're in the midst of all that stuff it's very hard to think about the future and so I think that's, that's another thing and also to be more confident in speaking my truth and saying, no, I'm, I'm a people pleaser and I've literally spent my life taking responsibility for other people's happiness and I hate confrontation. So I avoid it like the plague, but sometimes we need to confront things. We need to be able to speak up and say what we're feeling and say what we're thinking and not just go with the flow. You know, I think most of the anxiety I've felt over the years is because I've you know, not being able to say no to things. So I say yes to everything. I want to be there for everybody. And so, and then I set such big boundaries for and expectations from other people. I set them basically that, and then I can't live up to them. And then I feel like I've failed people. <laughs> so I would say, yeah, all those things are things that have come with years and years and years of introspection and learning and failures and wins and all that sort of stuff. So going back to my 20s hundred percent I would be telling myself to do more of that.
0: Yeah, I, I love that. And
1: like I said, hindsight is so
0: twenty twenty. And I think there's one big thing that I take away from the conversation that we're having right now is the amount of introspection that you actually do. There are so many people who and this may be the reason why we're having this conversation, the reason why you're able to build yourself up to successes once again and release a book, etc is because you had that introspection. And like you said, I'm not going to make these mistakes again. If I get through this, I'm going to be able to fly with these new businesses and everything that I create off the back of that as well. So what is your process of introspection? What has allowed you to become so self-aware? Because I think reflection is a big missing piece of society and a lot of people at this moment in time you know we make these mistakes over and over again and we wonder why we're in the same position yeah and i think reflection and introspection is the missing key so how have you been able to cultivate that in your life and what specific practices do you use if you use any to get yourself into a position where you do deeply know yourself
1: yeah so i think um i think one thing that i've learned over the years is when i look back so most people when they look back they look at the pain I look at the things that didn't go right. It's just, I don't know why, but it's just a thing. I mean, some people do look back at the good times, but rather than looking back on all of those challenges that I've faced as painful things and things that didn't work and as failures and all that kind of stuff, now what I do is I force myself to look at the strength that I got from them. So I I look back and I go, you know what? Yeah, that was hard, but I made it through. And if I can make it through that, then I can make it through the next thing. You know, I can make it through anything pretty much if I made it through that year. But <laughs> it's
0: So Two-fives and five was one for the books, right?
1: Yeah, 100%. <laughs> so, um, so I think something that, you know, I've always recently, not always, sorry, tried to really focus on is is looking back at the good things that have come from it, the learnings from it. But it's only been in recent years that I've started to do some more mindfulness stuff. Exercise has always been a thing for me. I've, I've always used exercise as my release. It's like the, you know, my antidepressant basically. And I've always scheduled exercise into my day. So that's something that I always do. But, and that's definitely helped. But I think the introspection thing has really just come from. So when I sold my agencies in 2000 and early 2018, I went to a stage where I was just completely lost because I had spent my life focusing on other people. I'd spent my life focusing on staff, clients, kids, family, you know, everything besides me. And so I forced myself to take some time out. And I think that that's where I really started to do the introspection thing. I think you you need to sometimes remove yourself from situations in order to understand and be able to look at them differently. Because when you're stuck in situations that you're busy and you're, your minds going a hundred mile an hour and you're still doing the day-to-day stuff. It's hard. So, you know, even if people are business owners find it hard to get holidays, for example, but even to take yourself to a retreat for a week, you know, every year or every six months and to do mindfulness stuff like meditations and yoga and, and, and all of that sort of thing. That's what's really given me that. I think that that real understanding of what I've been to and why I've, Done some things that I've done and what I've learned from it, and how I want to then implement that into my life moving forward. Because I'm always, I don't think there's ever a finish line for me. I'm always looking for new opportunities and new things. And, you know, all my friends say to me all the time, why don't you just retire and go and lay on a beach? And I just can't do (laughs) this. I wish I could. But, you know, I think, yeah, I think introspection comes from looking at things differently, looking at things more in a positive light as to you know, how resilient you've been through those challenges and taking the time to really acknowledge it because you can't do it when you're in the thick of it.
0: No. And I think that 2020 proved that to so many people, right? They were forced to slow down. And obviously you got it two years in advance and um, got the opportunity to kind of get that introspection and that reflection. But I think a lot of people can resonate with it because of so many people start doing their career changes. They were starting to realize that actually don't have any hobbies or I don't like this relationship I'm in or I don't really like who I am on a day-to-day basis and all these big deep reflections that came in so I like that a lot because if that was forced in a certain sense we had to slow down but wouldn't it be amazing if we did that from a kind of kind and gentle or loving space versus you know life's probably hopefully not going to stop us like that again although it was very very valuable for many people so i think that you know having the consciousness to slow yourself down it doesn't have to be for long but just long enough for you to be able to like i said just switch off for a bit and mm-hmm. listen to the the intuition and the the inner voice versus the what do i need to do today and what things do i need to do to tick off my list right yep yeah and something you said there in terms of never slowing down i'm always very curious especially for people who have you know, go through decades of experience and have no intentions of slowing down. I feel that very within myself as well. And, you know, I'm still relatively young. So I feel that, you know, that's long into the future when I need to worry about, am I ever going to be truly satisfied or will I ever be content with retirement, et cetera, et cetera. So do you feel that that is going to be the right approach to you to continue to looking for new things to do. Do you feel that it brings you true happiness?
1: I think it does bring me happiness because I, I'm very... So one, I'm very spontaneous. Two, I get bored easily. So I'm always looking for new, new things to do and new things to, you know, adventure, all that kind of stuff. So I think it does bring me happiness to be doing new things all the time and to be building things. I think that is in line with what I... Love to do as a person. I, I like to build things. I like to create, you know, things that I know are going to help other people. Yeah. So, yeah, I think it does bring me happiness. And I don't know, you know, the whole question of when is enough and when will you be satisfied. That's something that I do ask myself, I have to say, because I do. So, my dad, when he passed away, he was in the process of selling his business. So, it, in the process of selling their home and all that kind of stuff. So he didn't get a chance to do all those things in retirement that he had wanted to do. So I'm obviously very mindful of that as well. So now what I'm trying to do is intersperse all of those fun things and travel and adventure and, you know, doing all those spontaneous things that I kind of have always done, but actually really enjoying them now. So it's a bit of both. Yeah, it's a bit of both. I just don't think I'm the type of person that can just sit back and just not do anything it's just not in my nature so but I'm managing it I'm doing I'm setting up things like online programs and the app and stuff like that that's going to continue to produce that passive income but I still feel like I'm in in the game and you know adding benefit and value to people that's what makes me happy. yeah
0: yeah I like that a lot it's, it's like you're transitioning for the for the different phases of your life and kind of yeah Pulling a little bit of this, like when it was when you're in your 20s or 30s, for example, maybe it was the hyper focus on work and doing your best to look after your girls as well. But now it's a sense of, you know, continuing to do that, not necessarily needing to people please or prove to the world that you're good enough or you're successful enough, but it's now saying, okay, what do I have a deep interest in and doing it from a place of, Yeah, I love this and I want to continue integrating it, but I can also take a bit of this, a bit of spontaneous nature of traveling, of yoga and all this other type of things, which sounds like you're finding a much more balanced approach, which is optimistic for someone like myself to hear, that's for sure.
1: Yeah, definitely. Definitely. It's definitely a much more balanced
0: approach. Mm. And what compelled you to write a book at this stage in your journey as well?
1: Writing has always been my thing. I was going to be a journalist, so I don't know how I felt from journalism to uh, accounting and then to real estate. But anyway... I have had a goal since I was in high school, I've I've wanted to write a book. So last year, at the beginning of the year, I I don't set resolutions. I just set action, like an action plan for me for the year. And last year I made the decision that I was going to write the book because, as I said, it had been in the back of my mind for a long time. And, you know, those close to me that know what I have been through and, and stuff have said to me for years, you need to write a book. And so I set about writing a different book, which I will continue, so there is another book coming eventually, and that was more about more about the industry and the things that they don't tell you, and it's quite a satirical look at real estate and the funny things that happen and the hard things, but I had a publisher who reached out to me uh, about that book, and, and we started to talk, and she sort of said, you know, tell me a bit more about your background, so I started to tell her a few things and she was the one that said to me, Marnie, this is the book you need to write about. This is the, the story that needs to be out there first because it it sets that groundwork for the next book, which will give you, you know, the leverage and the credibility for people to understand that, you know, you can help. So, yeah, so it kind of came about, you know, like that. It was actually a big shift and, again, an opportunity down a different road that I, I hadn't thought about because, You know, you write about yourself or you talk about yourself. You don't know whether people are going to actually care (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, That's true. So I went two stages writing it thinking, oh, gosh, what are people going to be thinking when they read all this? But there's things in there that I haven't told. You know, there's a couple of things in there that I hadn't even verbalized until – one thing in particular until the book, which was a little bit daunting. And I had to tell my daughters a couple of things before the book came out. So the night before the launch, I was just (laughs) putting – building up and then having to tell them a couple of things only because I knew that it would concern them and 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 stuff so anyway so yeah that the goal to write a book has been there for a long time but to write that book was only a recent thing and I wrote that book in like three months so um yeah it just I think because it's you and it's it's stuff you know it, it just flowed which was great yeah I felt like it was time.
0: Did anything surprise you during the process of writing? Uh,
1: surprise me about the book or just the actual doing it?
0: The introspections and the writing. Yeah, getting it all out on paper. Because I can imagine it was like one giant journal entry.
1: That's pretty much what it was. <laughs> and somebody, um, a reviewer who actually wrote the book said to me, it's like a fascinating um, look into somebody's personal diary.
0: <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah. So yeah, it was emotional. It was cathartic. It was... A whole range of things but it definitely you know when we talk about that introspection I'd had a lot of it in the in the few years before but I think writing the book gave me the biggest insight into what I've actually been able to overcome what I've been through and how much it's made me grow as a person and how it's developed you know I guess my skills over the years, which were very much leadership, business, real estate, all that kind of stuff. Whereas now I feel like I've got so much more to give from, you know, that whole mindset resilience side that I've never really even thought about sharing with people. So it's, yeah, it's it's actually really exciting. And I love, for me, the main thing that I get out, the joy that I get out of this book is how much it inspires people and encourages people. That's been awesome, the sort of feedback I've been getting on that.
0: It's a beautiful transition and it truly is. And what is the impact that you now want to have on the world with the work that you do?
1: I just want people to know and understand that there's nothing really that can stop you unless you let it. So I believe that we're our only limiting factor and life is truly about perception. Yeah. So we have a choice at how we look at things and... It doesn't matter what happens to you. It's your choice as to what you do with that and how you move forward from it. So I just want people to know that, yeah. And, and there's always somebody out there to help you through that, too. I think I've always been an inward thinker. I've always been an overthinker. I've always been one of those people that, as I said at the beginning, I bottle everything up, I give it to myself because I don't want to burden anybody else with my problems. But I think that one thing I have learned over the years and, you know, and even writing this book is by putting stuff out there and actually asking for help when you need it. It's truly important because, you know, some things and some of the health issues that I've had over the years, I think if I had asked for help earlier on and opened up to people more, then I don't think that I would have had to go through a lot of that stuff. But yeah, again, that's a hindsight thing. So yeah. Yeah. It's it's okay to ask for help when you need it.
0: Yeah, and you can share those learnings now and hopefully someone else takes those on board, right? Yes. And one final quote that I want to go through, and I'm not even going to try and memorize it. I'm going to literally read it because I don't want to butcher it because it's that good that you put on one of your Instagram captions I want you to speak on. Is that You said, if you're wondering whether the glass is half empty or half full, you're missing the point. The glass is refillable. I love that quote. What did you mean by that? Tell us a little bit more about that because it's the first time I've heard it, surprisingly.
1: Well, people always categorize people's personalities and their drive on whether the glass is half empty or the glass is half full, whether you look at things in a positive mindset or you look at things in a negative mindset. But for me, it doesn't really matter because the choice is yours. If you want to refill the glass, you refill the glass and it's full. And the glass could be full all the time if you choose for it to be full all the time. It's up to us to find ways to continually refill our cup, you know, whether that be exercise, whether that be learning, whether that be, you know, mindfulness, whether no matter what it is, it's our decision. We don't have to look at it as half empty or half full.
0: Yeah, it's very nice. And what you touched on earlier in the sense of the introspection and not looking at it is what did I do wrong and how can I not do this wrong again? It's that same perspective of like, okay, this wasn't a pleasant situation, but I'm going to look at it from the perspective of saying, okay, well this can serve me and how can it serve me as well. So yeah, I think that ties in nicely to what you mentioned earlier too.
1: Yeah, totally. Yeah, perception. Amazing. <laughs> Manu, this
0: has been a truly awesome conversation and I'm sure the listeners will want to dive deep into your book, get some of those insights that maybe we didn't touch on today, some of those things that you had to tell your daughters in advance, which I'm sure sparked a lot of curiosity as well. So can you let us know where the best place is to find you, your book, and just keep up with everything that you're doing?
1: Sure. So my website's money based on com and the book is on amazon and it will be distributed into bookstores in the next i think four to six weeks but at the moment you can certainly buy the paperback or the ebook on amazon our barnes and noble if you're in the states and the audiobook i am in the process of uploading that at the moment i'm just a little bit of a struggle with audible um uh, being from Australia, apparently we don't, um, we can't upload audio should from you. It's interesting. Anyway, so yeah, <laughs> so I'm trying to, to work through that. Um, but yes, the audiobook should be there in the next week or two, but the I do have a website for the book, so that's unreadpagesbook.com, and that will link you straight to purchase the book. online. Amazing. We'll make sure all of that is in the show notes
0: below. But Mani, thank you so much for your time today. It's been a super insightful and a super interesting conversation. Thank you so much.
1: So glad. Thank you for having me. And that was the
0: Simply Fit Podcast. I hope you gained a huge amount of value from today's episode. I feel inspired to improve your health and wellbeing. Be sure to search for Simply Fit in Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify, or anywhere else you get your podcasts from